Welcome to the most nutritious hour of business talk all week. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. Your host and moderator is Bonnie D. Graham. You'll hear from the innovators who have learned to use game-changing technologies to shake up the status quo and help move today's businesses in new directions. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Happy New Year to everyone. I'm wishing everyone a sweet 16. If you plug in 20 in front of 16, you'll know what I mean. I hope those of you who had a sweet 16 party, I hope it was good. Welcome, and I'll just say what I usually say. If you want to run with the Game Changers, I promise you're in the right place. Today's buzz is the buzz. Well, what could she possibly mean by that? Let's get started. According to a recent eMarketer report, and if you're not familiar with that publication, just look it up, the, the letter E in front of marketer. Uh, marketers will spend $8.8 billion, that's right, billion with a B, $8.8 billion on native advertising by 2018. Now, here we are in January 2016, so it's not that far off. Let me just add a little commentary here when I looked up this reference. eMarketer says, the term native advertising remains murky, admittedly so, but there's money in that there murk. Marketers are increasing their spending on native, however the term is defined according to the report, which is titled Native Advertising Update, Marketers See Healthy Spending Growth in 2015. So they were still talking about this last year. And another comment here, of all the benefits discussed with interviewees, one in particular was raised by almost every marketer with whom they spoke, the word engagement. Native advertising, they said, has an unusual ability to generate interaction and win consumers' attention. Amen to that. So, so let's get back on our topic. Naturally, all this means that the digital content landscape will continue to get increasingly crowded with what will you know. You've got articles. You've got videos. Everyone says those have the stickiness that you're looking for. Everybody wants to see a video and graphics, still rock and roll, from a variety of different brands. So the question our listeners are asking, the question we're going to try to answer today is how can your brand reign in control of your content strategies and ultimately how can you stand apart from your competitors because you want your stories to make a positive impact isn't that what it's all about and positive impact is also a great big concept so we have three very interesting experts who are going to weigh in on this today I'm very pleased to welcome our first expert on the panel today. She's a newcomer to Coffee Break with Game Changers. She is Rebecca Iliff. And if you want to look her up, I'm going to spell her name because it's a little different than what you would expect. R-E-B-E-K-A-H, last name I-L-I-F-F. She's the Chief Strategy Officer at Air PR. That's one word. And Rebecca has sent me a very interesting quote from Marie Curie for her opener. By the way, anybody too young to know who Marie Curie was or if you were sleeping that day in science class. Curie was the first woman to win a Nobel Prize, the first person and only woman to win twice, the only person to win twice in multiple sciences. Her Curie family legacy included five Nobel Prizes. She was the first woman to become a professor at the University of Paris, and in 1995, she became the first woman to be entombed on her own merits in the Pantheon in Paris. Wow. Here's the quote. Nothing in life is to be feared. It is only to be understood. Now is the time to understand more so that we may fear less. Rebecca Iliff, Happy New Year and welcome to the show. How are you, Rebecca? 
I'm doing well. How about you? Thanks for having I'm me. I'm fine. I loved when I looked up Marie Curie. Did you know she had so many blue ribbons on her on her lapel, so many first prizes when you picked her quote, Rebecca? Yeah, I did. She's actually someone I'm truly inspired by, and I think, um, you know, just her accomplishments and where she came from. The, the reason I really admire her particularly is because we live in such a privileged age as women, as entrepreneurs, and we really have a tremendous amount of opportunity now. Um, you know, some of her background includes her family losing their fortune during the uprising. She lived in a time where women re- were rarely accepted into universities. Um, you know, she lived in poverty and educated herself and really worked her way up through the ranks. And I think such an inspiration to um, innovators of today and entrepreneurs kind of following her her tenacity and courage to really make things happen. I like that. Now, referencing our topic today, we're talking about native advertising. We're talking about the digital content landscape. What would Marie Curie say about this? And in in, in fact, uh, what was her brand? We see it today in retrospect, Rebecca, but what was her brand? If she were a marketer, what would she say about herself in terms of native advertising? Any thoughts on that? Uh that's a good question. I mean, I think that the reason I think the quote is so timely is because we live in a in an age where there is so much information, and it's really scary. Mm-hmm. And anytime we come from that fear, you know, particularly as marketers now, like, if we look at the data, is it going to show us what we want to see? And so I think that we really have to look at it through the lens of understanding means that we're moving forward. And when we embrace things like native advertising and content marketing, we are kind of by nature getting rid of that fear and we are forcing ourselves to move forward. And I think, you know, if I was to say her brand would be kind of relentless pragmatism Mm -hmm. and courage. And I think we really have to approach things from that vantage point. Otherwise, you know, it's this whole idea of complacency is death, Um, not to be morbid, but you know, my coffee hasn't quite kicked in, so <laughs> no. out of my mouth this early in the morning. And by the way, I'm not sure people would think I was such a game changer and an expert if they knew I was actually in my bathroom at the moment. Um, <laughs> That's just, a first. Be, I'm on the West Coast, so <laughs> it's still kind of dark here. Rebecca, you're a trooper, and thank you. We've never had a guest talk about what they're wearing on the show in about uh, 900 shows, so you have started off the year with the first. Now I'm going to have to add that to later on what's in your cup and what are you wearing while you're drinking, so thank you for the TMI. I appreciate it. Rebecca, uh, thank you for indulging my question. We never planned for me to ask you what Marie Curie would brand herself as, and you did great, so thank you so much. Let's move on to our – let's give Rebecca a little bit of relief here, and she can uh, go drink something comfortable here and wake up. Rebecca's doing great. Andy Hilton is our second guest. He's a VP of Communications Content and Brand at ADP. Andy sent me a very interesting quote from Benjamin Franklin. And if anybody doesn't remember Benjamin Franklin, he also was a first in so many things. He was one of the founding fathers of the U.S. He was a renowned polymath. You can look that one up. He was an author, a printer, a political theorist, a politician, a Freemason, a postmaster, a scientist, an inventor, a civic activist, a statesman, a diplomat. 
diplomat. He invented the lightning rod bifocals. Hello, I look through mine. And the Franklin stove. He he started, helped to start Philadelphia's first fire department and a university. And he earned the title the first American for his early campaigning for colonial unity. And I think there's probably a brand question in there somewhere. And he was the first U.S. ambassador to France. Andy Hilton sent me this quote. Either write something worth reading or do something worth writing. Wow. Andy Hilton, how are you today? Good morning, Bonnie. Thanks for having me. I'm delighted. So tell me how you came to pick this marvelous quote from another person with a lot of firsts to his credit, Ben Franklin. Yeah, sure, sure. So I think the full context of the quote is, is actually kind of humorous, right? I think he was referring to this. If, if you wanted to be remembered after your, de- after your death, you needed to do these things, either write something worth reading or do something worth writing. And so uh, also a morbid thought. But um, I think, you know, when I was thinking about the topic of this show and, and what I do every day, um, you know, this, this just rang clear to me as, as, uh, as central to everything that we're doing, you know, in communications, content marketing, and brand. It's, it's really about you know, having uh, a compelling point of view and, and, and creating, you know, the channels and the mechanisms to get that point of view, you know, squarely in front of the people that, that matter to your business. And so, um, you know, Benjamin Franklin, I don't know when he said it, but he, um, it, was, it, was, it was long before any of our time. And, and, uh, and he was quite uh, prophetic, I think, in, in terms of, uh, you know, thinking like a content marketer. Absolutely. And, and if Ben Franklin were to put a brand and, and say something about himself, what do you think would resonate? What would he say is the most important thing he'd want people to know about him as the Ben Franklin brand? Would it be the lightning rod, the stove, uh, the glasses? Would it be uh, one of the founding fathers? Where, where do you think he would place his mark in terms of the Ben Franklin brand? Yeah, you know, I, I, it's, um, it's a good, good question. I, I think it's actually all of those things. And I, I think he would probably, you know, um, um, brand himself as the as the idea man, and and really, you know, the the idea is the thing, right? It's 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 all about it's all about that that big idea, um, and he certainly you know represents many many big ideas, arguably more than any other you know um, historical figure that I can certainly recall. And so um, so I think I think that's where he put his brand. It wouldn't be on any one of those things. It's the fact that you know it's it's the, he put the idea in the middle and uh, and built mm-hmm. his brand around that. Interesting. And before I introduce our third guest, uh, I just want to ask you one more question, Andy. In terms of writing something worth reading, you know, the old phrase, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. We all think we know what we want our audience, our customers, our prospects, our investors, our shareholders, our stakeholders to hear from us. Do we always get it right the first time or is it sometimes, pardon my French, a crapshoot in terms of, well, I think this is interesting to them or this is what I want them to know. What about the hit or miss aspect of knowing what is worth reading? Any thoughts on that? Oh, sure. I mean, I, I think I think that's the the beauty of the of the age that we're living in from a from a marketer's perspective is that we you know we have the ability to to as um, as, as my CMO likes to say you know do learn do and and we and so we 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 try things um, and now we have the, the the mechanisms and the tools to be able to to learn instantaneously you know if it's resonating with the people that we care about and and then. And then you know, um, pour gas on that fire, if you will. And so, so I think the 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 the, the technology has, has has caught up to the idea uh, in a pretty significant way. And I'm hoping we'll get you know into that in some more detail as we continue this discussion. 
We surely will. Thank you so much for joining us, Andy Hilton at ADP. And last but not least, the person who came up with this topic, always glad to talk to him. It's Tim, the blog father, Clark. You can put the quote marks anywhere you want. He's the head of brand journalism at SAP and my esteemed colleague at SAP on the new services team. And Tim has sent me a very interesting quote from another person who is known for his firsts. The person is Richard Branson. Branson, by the way, in 1972, seems like a long time ago it really wasn't opened a chain of record stores you might remember virgin records and virgin mega stores uh in 2015 that's fast forward let's see 25 that's about 40 years after he was listed at having a net worth of only about five billion dollars in 1984 along the way he started virgin atlantic airways he launched virgin mobile in 99 virgin blue in australia in 2000 and he was ninth in the sunday times rich list i didn't know they had a rich list 2006 of the wealthiest people or families in the UK with a worth of over three billion pounds. But here's a little Richard Branson trivia. Uh, He has dyslexia and he had a very poor academic performance as a student. On his last day at school, I'm assuming early school, headmaster Richard Robert Drayson told Branson that Branson would either end up in prison or become a millionaire. That's number one. Trivia number two, Branson wrote in his autobiography about why he started an airline. He said, my interest in life comes from setting myself huge, apparently unachievable challenges and trying to rise above them. From the perspective of wanting to live life to the full, I felt that I had to attempt it. And how many people say that? So here's the quote. Complexity is your enemy. Any fool can make something complicated. It's hard to make something simple. Tim Clark, Happy New Year. How are you? Happy New Year to you, Bonnie. I'm doing great. Thank you. Thanks for joining me. I, I can't believe that just randomly the three of you picked such interesting people to quote today and certainly very noteworthy of being their own brands. So tell me how you picked this quote from Branson and then talk to me about what you think if he had to say in, in one sentence what his brand really is, what would that be? Go ahead, Tim. Um, well, I think that this quote absolutely pertains to what we're talking about today, you know, um, as Rebecca and uh, Andy both pointed out, you know, there's a lot of content out there, and it is scary, and it is complicated. And I think in in many regards, we've kind of gotten ourselves into this mess of uh, too much content, of how to do it, and all these sorts of things. So we'll talk about more of that later, obviously. But the idea of creating simple content, it's not easy, you know, and I appreciate that quote so much from him because... um, I think as humans in our psyche, we always think that simple is too good to be true, and therefore we tend mm-hmm. to over-engineer and over-complicate things. And because you mentioned uh, Richard Branson's uh, Virgin Record Stores, I would like to kind of riff off of that very quickly. If you think sure. about um, the hard rock icons, ACDC, right? Beloved by many, the music is everywhere. You hear their music and their riffs and commercials and music uh, are in the and uh, movies, it's, it's everywhere. Now, they didn't become rock icons because they write complicated music. Uh, they became rock icons because they write very, very painfully simple riffs that people remember, and it resonates with them. And if you ask any musician, I'm sure if you ask the fine gentleman of ACDC, uh, you know, is it easy to do that? No, it's not. It's really not easy to even write simple riffs because of the way we think. And so... Um, you know, again, backing that into our discussion today, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, it's not easy to create simple content. It's not easy to create a simple content 
strategy. And um, so therefore, uh, you know, all of the tools and things that are available to us today, I think, are important to utilize to try to rein some of that in. So, Thank you. And what would Richard Branson say if you had to tell him he had to write an article right now about what his brand is in terms of a native advertising approach? What, what among his many talents and achievements would he say is the brand for himself? Well, I, I would think right now it might be his his airlines, <laughs> only because, uh, you know, they're so luxurious and he's done such a good job of, um, you know, riding that, that, that wave of, of just undying commitment to customer service. And, you know, as you, you point out, Bonnie and, and others, uh, you know, we, we always think we know what's best for our customers. Well, he seems to be pretty humble in that regard as to receiving some of that feedback, and I think he's done that very well with all his properties, but most importantly, I think with, with the airline, I think he would find great success uh, from a native advertising perspective, talking about um, just the, the attention to detail and the customer service, and of course, how that has reaped you know tremendous rewards for him. Um, you know, it, it certainly paid dividends, his strategy. Do you think he would want to set himself up as a beacon or an icon or a motivator for for kids who are dyslexic? Say, I can't read that. I'm not going to do anything with my life. It's too hard. Do you think he might want to go into social good? Hmm. Um, I think he's definitely well positioned for that. I think his personality lends himself to that. He seems to be a very big collaborator, and I think you kind of have to do that to be... Uh, involved with that sort of work, and I think he'd be perfect for that, absolutely, um, especially given uh, you know what you said about his biography and growing up and, and overcoming adversity, and I think he's you know the real deal. You know, He's not smoke and mirrors. He'd be able to relate to kids about setting really high yeah. goals and achieving them. So, Thank you. Thank you very much, and I'm going to, Rebecca, I think you're wide awake now, and uh, whatever you're wearing, we want to know, what are you drinking more than what are you what are you wearing? We're not going to ask you what kind of bathrobe it is, but this is the part of the show where we do a little bit of storytelling, and I'd love to know what, what are you drinking today, or what are you thinking about drinking after the show? Rebecca? Well, I'm double fisting it this morning. I have my coffee, my cured coffee, of course, with almond milk and my pressed juice. I tweeted to you. I'm not sure you saw that, but I saw I'm it. a huge advocate. Yeah, I'm a huge advocate of green juice, and I drink it every morning. It really helps get get things going. Um, I'm happy to share the ingredients if you'd like to hear those as well. Yeah, yeah, of course. I was going to uh, ask. You knew. Go ahead. Yeah. So let's see. This one has... Kale, cucumber, lemon, apple, ginger, I believe, and maybe a couple other, maybe parsley. But, yeah, it's it's kind of the, the way I roll in the morning. I think it's because I lived in L.A. for, like, six years, and this, this became a very uh, day-to-day staple with, you know, living in L.A., everyone, everyone juices. So mm-hmm. I'll believe it on that. <laughs> you don't have to blame it on anything. It sounds good to me. Rebecca was kind enough to tweet a picture of the bottle. Uh, what is it called? Pressio? I'm trying to see here. It's kind of small. Is that the name of the, the brand well, you're drinking? Yeah, it's from the Pressed Juicery in Okay, Lux- Pressed. Anyone who lives in Northern California at Luxbury Landing. It's a great brand. Oh. Highly recommend oh. it. Thank you very much. We we like brands at this part of the show. Appreciate that. Everybody loves a little bit of uh, mention. And let's go to Andy Hilton. Andy, where are you calling from, and what's in your cup today? I'm calling from uh, from the Garden State in New Jersey, um, 
And so, uh, so yeah, I think my, my, my cup story is far less healthy than, than Rebecca's and probably reflective of our, maybe our, our geographic locations. I don't, I don't know. But um, mm-hmm. so my, my coffee cup is empty and cold, so I won't talk about that. But I, I am reminded of, um, of, of, a, of a memorable, you know, weekend beverage. I, I think, you know, 2015 was a, somewhat of a year of enlightenment for me as it relates to the, the craft beer movement. And I've, I've, I've become a fan and a, and a fan boy, if you will, of, 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 a, of a number of um, East, East Coast brewers that have, have really um, piqued my interest. And on, on Saturday, um, my, my father brought to me, my father lives in, in Hershey, Pennsylvania, which is home mm-hmm. to, the, um, to, the, to the wonderful Troves Brewery. And he, he brought to, to my house uh, a wonderful fresh growler of, of Troves, uh, Perpetual IPA, which I had the opportunity to share with my, my two brothers-in-laws and, and, and my, uh, my father and I can still I can still taste it on the back of my tongue, and I'm I'm, I'm I can't wait till till Saturday to, to drink the other one that he brought me. <laughs> and what did you mention? Troes T R O spell spell it for me. T R O E G S Troes, and they're based in, in Hershey, Pennsylvania. It's a wonderful craft brewery that's really um, you know, I have it here. Its legs here on the East Coast, and I'm sure if it's not already, it's going to be quickly making its way across the country. It's a it's just a, a wonderful brand. Wonderful experience if you have the chance to be in Hershey, Pennsylvania, to, to visit their brewery and um, you know experience the the, the 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 vibe that they've created there around their brand. It's a it's a it's it's quite a unique experience and, and a lot of fun. Andy, this is the first time we've ever had Trogues Brewing Company mentioned, and I looked them up. It's t r o e g s dot com, and here's a little bit about their brand. They say brewery offering self and guided tours, plus a tasting room and snack bar with elevated American grub. I have never heard that term, elevated American grub. Whatever it is, it's probably snacks, and it sounds fantastic. I'm going to go there. And listen, if you don't want the Trogues, we know what else is in Hershey, Pennsylvania. I haven't been there since I was a kid, so I think it's time for a road trip. Thank you, Andy, for the memories and the recommendation. And last but not least, Tim Clark, what are you drinking? Well, first I'll say that uh, you're going to see a, uh, a likely string here of geographic location and unhealthy dr- uh, drink. <laughs> and Andy. Uh, so first of all, I am from New Jersey, and um, my coffee cup, too, is cold, and I am actually craving a craft beer that I had over the holidays. Um, it's a chocolate peanut butter porter called Sweet Baby Jesus, and it is... Produced by, I think the company is called Duclaw, and they they produce quite a, a bunch of great, you know, handcrafted quality beers, and they become very very popular. And um, I guess all I'll say is I consumed more than one over the holidays. That's all. <laughs> well, I'm going to do a little bit of uh, branding here for you. It is Duclaw, D-U-C-L-A-W dot com. Sweet Baby Jesus, and it says, exclaim the name. First brewed in 2011, this chocolate peanut butter porter is jet black in color with a tan, rocky head, full body, and creamy, luxurious mouthfeel. Lightly sweet, multi flavor, accented by rich flavors of chocolate, coffee, and peanut butter, balanced by a subtle hop character and moderate 6.2% ABV. I guess that's alcohol content. Sweet Baby Jesus finishes smooth, dry, and roasty with lingering notes of chocolate and peanut butter. So savory, you will exclaim its name. How did I do, Tim? <laughs> that's perfect. Cause that's exactly Am I hired? <laughs> You're hired. <laughs> Thank you. Well, that was very, we had three great quotes and three great beverages. Uh, if anybody's wondering, I usually say that they don't let Bonnie have caffeinated beverages on show days, and that hasn't changed. But I am now the proud owner of a beautiful 
red Nespresso Virtue Line machine with the Aerolator accessory, courtesy of my daughter mm-hmm. and her husband. And I have been drinking awfully lots of wonderful, rich decaffeinato for the past three weeks. I'm up to about three or four cups a day. They say it's decaf, but we all know there's a little bit of kick in it. So maybe I'm a little more lively than usual, although I don't think that's possible. Anyway, our topic today, in case you haven't guessed, is brands as publishers, lessons learned, and future trend predictions. We're talking today with three esteemed panelists. They certainly know their stuff. We have on the panel Rebecca Iliff, who is the Chief Strategy Officer at Air PR. We have Andy Hilton, VP Communications Content and Brand at ADP, and Tim, the blog father, Clark, Head of Brand Journalism at SAP, and I'm still Bonnie D. Graham, and I plan to be after the break. So we're going to go away for about 90 seconds, take a sip of something interesting. We'll come back, and Rebecca Iliff at Air PR is going to help me kick off the roundtable, and we're going to talk about owned versus earned media how the relationship is changing, the way we think about content and PR, very key to our conversation. So don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. You know what. We'll be right back. Justin, out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The time for enterprise mobility is now, according to IDC. By 2013, over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology, comprising 34.9% of the workforce. The impact of mobility on business is clear. Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase and SAP Company offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP systems for secure access to business processes anytime anywhere and on any device www.sap.com when it comes to business you'll find the experts here voice america business network you're enjoying coffee break with game changers presented by sap you can send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com And you're invited to tweet your questions and comments during and after the show at Twitter, hashtag S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Now, let's get back to Coffee Break with Game Changers. And we're back and we're talking today about brands as publishers. Think about that. Your company, your name, whether you're a consultant, you're a big company, little company, a startup, somebody with a company gleam in your eye. Brands as publishers, we're talking to you. Lessons learned and future trend predictions. Let's kick off our roundtable with Rebecca Iliff, Chief Strategy Officer for Air PR. By the way, they're a tech platform with the focus on increasing PR performance, so she is perfect for this panel. And Rebecca sent me some notes before the show. She says, owned versus earned media, talking about how the relationship is changing, how we think about content and PR. Rebecca looks back over in time and says, in the olden days, PR was mostly, if not completely focused, on garnering press coverage for clients and or brands if they worked internally. Rebecca, why don't you take us a little deeper into this, please? Sure. Yeah, this is one of my favorite topics to talk about because I think that we stand at this really interesting inflection point, both as PR professionals and just communicators in general and even journalists. I mean, certainly Tim 
can attest to this, having a background in journalism. What this really has to do with is about the locus of control. So as I mentioned in the olden days, PR's job is really about influencing media. So to get your brand exposure, you would have, you know, you'd have several relationships with journalists and you would try to get a story told vis-a-vis a publication. Um, and those were things like the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, et cetera. Now what's happened is that brands, particularly big brands, are doing this quite well. Um, SAP is certainly a good example, uh, Dell, Adobe. But what's happening is that we now have the ability to own our content and to own the narrative and to push out the messages that we want instead of relying on journalists and ancillary forms of publications or publishers to tell the story. So while PR certainly still owns media relationships by and large, the opportunity to create compelling content and work across silos with advertising and digital marketing, you know, and even IT is a tremendous opportunity to get your story told in a way that's important to the brand. So that, you know, we talk about this a lot with customers and we actually have quite a bit of data that show this shift in owned media in particular with some of the larger brands, Fortune 500 companies, is, is just as useful in terms of demand generation and getting, you know, exposure for the brand as getting an article in the Wall Street Journal. So it's, it's really interesting to see the shift happening. And I think that even smaller brands, I mean, we certainly do this ourselves. We, we talk about our story and our customers on our own blog, and, and we try to contribute to LinkedIn and Medium and channels like that to get our story told. And, and I think it's really exciting to be, you know, at, at this particular point in time on the, on the PR journey. Thank you, Rebecca. I have to mention that last year, Onalytica, the leading influencer relationship management software company, cited you as one of the top 100 PR influencers in the world. So you certainly know what you're talking about. Thank you. Andy Hilton, we'd love to have you add on to what Rebecca started. Thoughts, please? Yeah, sure, sure. And I think, um, you know, I think Rebecca is spot on. And I would, I would, I guess I would throw into the mix of the, you know, the, um, the earned and owned conversation is also, you know, the paid, the paid conversation. I think, you know, we, you know, at ADP, we've we've put, you know, communications, which is where you where our, our PR team sits, and together with our, our brand team, which is where our advertising sits, uh, together with our content marketing team, which 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 is responsible for our our owned our owned um, media channels, and you know, we put them together, for, you know, for a reason, because at the end of the day, it's um, you know, it's the story that is the hero, and and the channel through which we we um, you know we deploy that story into the marketplace, whether it's through you know, earned media. You know, um, by, by 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 pitching stories to, to press and, and hoping that they write about it, or um, or, or or native advertising, which has uh, become an increasingly you know important and valuable part of our of our um, of our approach to to uh, getting eyeballs on the on the on the on the ADP point of view. Uh, uh, you know, together with the um, um, with the owned assets and you know through blogs and, and other other you know on our own website. You know, being, being able to put the story in the middle and then make decisions around, you know, how you deploy, you know, your assets and your, 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 your available assets and resources against that, that story idea really is, um, really is the, the, what, what we're seeing, what, what, what the strategy that we're deploying in ADP, and I don't, I don't think we're alone. Uh, I think, I think the, the market and especially in B2B 
uh, especially organizations that have a, um, you know, call it sort of an expertise, you know, brand and a brand that's built around having a, you know, deep, deep expertise uh, in, a, in, a, in a specific area. In our, play, in our area, it's, it's HR and compliance. Um, you know, being able to, to, to be able to deliver your story, uh, you know, content is a great way to do it. And, and to be able to deliver your point of view, it, it's, you know, it's much more um, effective to be, you know, to be the content that people, you know, seek out and desire versus, you know, interruption uh, marketing or interruption advertising, which has been, I think, uh, you know, sort of central to the, to the B2B marketers playbook uh, historically. So an interesting trend, very exciting times. Um, I love the business that we're in. And, and uh, you know, again, I think Rebecca is, is, is spot on with, with, with what she's seeing. And, 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 uh, and, and AirPR, I think, is, is, is an interesting company in, in its own in terms of what, what they're doing to help organizations to, um, um, to realize, you know, the, 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 what, what's happening out there. Thank you, Andy. Tim Clark, I know you have a lot to say. Join us, please. Yes, I, I you know, um, to reiterate what, uh, first, what Rebecca said about this being, you know, just a tremendous inflection point. Um, it, it would appear that everything's kind of gotten thrown into a blender. You know, we're seeing all these different factions that used to be separate kind of come together uh, in different forms. And, um, you know, I, I think it's important to, um, you know, first of all, embrace that change, you know, embrace all these different departments that you're now going to be working with, um, brand journalism, brand journalists being one, traditional marketing being another, digital marketing, whatever it may be, social media marketing teams, all these people are now working together. And it's a beautiful thing because as Andy uh, pointed out, you know, the story truly is central to all of this. You can build a tremendous, um, tremendously successful campaign around a single blog post now or a single video, or a single graphic. And, um, you know, again, it, it takes, uh, you know, a, a concentrated effort of everyone coming together across the company. I don't think it's just one department, which is really interesting. And then, yeah, I think um, the different channels that are at your disposal, um, you know, are the second half of, of the strategy that you can, uh, you know, use to sort of enhance your uh, reach and awareness, and uh, whether it's native or you know community-based blogs or you know uh, a newsroom. We haven't really talked about newsrooms that much, but um, these are all great channels to sort of get your message out there, as Rebecca pointed out. You know, um, but as it relates to the story, what I think needs to be talked about is the authenticity of it. Um, mm-hmm. It's not just enough to you know, kind of group together a bunch of ghost-written assets and then just sort of kind of blast them out there and see what happens. I mean, you really do have to um, take a close look at the, you know, I guess the art behind story creation, if that's what you're in fact doing. And, you know, really kind of um, make sure that that is aligned with what's going on at the company, what you're trying to accomplish. So, again, try try to keep things you know, free of marketing spin as much as possible, as mm-hmm. both Andy and Rebecca said, you know, that story really does have to be uh, pertinent to the audience, interesting to them, make sure the headline is spot on. All of these sort of, you know, technical ins and outs, I mean, the devil really is in the details when it comes to the story. So, again, it's one thing to talk about, you know, putting together a great strategy, kind of have to do that. But without that great content, it really means nothing. So, 
Thank you, Tim. Thank you. I have a question for the whole panel before we move on to some notes from Andy Hilton. My question is, what is the life cycle, or rather, what is the, the ticking clock? I didn't say the ticking time bomb. The ticking clock on putting together a campaign around a great story. You get a great story. You have all these teams and departments that are now supposed to meld their brilliance together. Somebody's going to lead it. Somebody's going to create something based on that blog or that video. How long do you have? I know how long it takes to make a video by the time you get the funding and pick the agency and write the timeline and write the storyboard. It can be months. What if that ship has sailed? Tim, let me start with you on that one, and then I'll jump over to Rebecca and Andy. What's your thought on timing? Well, um, at least in my experience, I don't know. Timing isn't always an issue. I I would think it would be more of... um, you know, you kind of know what you have to do. Hopefully you can meet those deadlines. Um, but from a life cycle perspective, yeah, you don't want to keep beating a dead horse and keep, you know, sending out the same stuff over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. So it, it's really just dependent on the culture of the company. Um, you know, what is it that you're trying to accomplish and what is your threshold for pain uh, with uh-huh. regards to your content and with your customers? Um, do you care about them enough that, you will pull back and reintroduce, you know, more fresh content to them or, or try to get them to, to see things your way in a, in a different context and instead of, you know, relying on the same old thing over and over and over again. Okay. Rebecca, thoughts, please? Yeah, so where my brain goes is that, you know, I wish we had more long-form content. I wish we had more investigative journalism. I wish that people wouldn't get so enamored with this kind of ephemeral content, which is all great and all necessary in order to compete. But I'm hoping, and what we're seeing actually, and again, having the data to now kind of correlate all of this and to see the connective tissue, but companies who really spend a tremendous amount of time doing research and creating deep, emotional, compelling storylines, that Mm -hmm. content tends to have really long life cycles. We've seen companies that, you know, create stories and and publish stories that three years into it because they are either ahead of the trend or they really can spot something and they see something coming down the pipeline and are smart about it and are thoughtful about it and are critically thinking about it. They spend, you know, six months as opposed to six minutes, which both of those things are necessary. But Mm I I do believe that in the future of all of this, brands are going to spend just as much time on the longer form content because they're going to start to see a higher return because it creates customer loyalty. It helps position brands as, you know, quote unquote thought leaders and gives, give them a platform. So those are kind of my just immediately gut reaction. Um, Thank you. That's what I was looking for. All good points. Andy Hilton thoughts. Andy, do we have you? Yeah, I think it's, sorry. Um, yeah, this that's is, okay. Uh, um, an interesting, it's an interesting topic and a, and a really, um, you know, I think my take on, on what Rebecca just, just said, I think it really requires, requires both a, a, long, a long view and, a, and, a, and, a, and, a, and an ability to, to, to react immediately and execute immediately. Um, you know, at ADP, we're, we're, we, we've created a capability to, to be able to, you know, publish daily uh, and, and, and publish daily, you know, to, and, and, and be able to not only, you know, this is in canned content that we're just, Sequencing out over the course of a uh, of a given month or a, a given a given week, it's about you know being able to respond to what's going on in our customers' world at any given time and being able to write 
to or produce to you know that idea or that trend. Um, but at the same time, you know, I think Rebecca is absolutely spot on with respect to you know long form content and. Um, you know, we're we're a, we're a research-based um, uh, company, uh, you know, uh, and we and we have a, a a lot of a lot of data and a lot of and a, and a keen ability to be able to um, to to really uh, uh, project out into the into the future for our for our for our customer base and our audiences and help them understand what what the what the trends are and what the um, what the data is telling us about you know where they can expect um, uh, you know uh, HR to go in the future and, and being able to. To really invest heavily in, 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 in unpacking that story, putting that story together, and putting that story together in a compelling way, and then I'm being able to unpack it in a way that people can consume, whether it's at once or over time, you know, is, is really all part of the is all part of the mix. It's all it's it's, it's so it, it's not one or the other. I think you need to have a capability uh, to be able to produce real time um, and, and and satiate the you know the the immediate um, opportunity you know needs and and, and capture and immediate opportunities, but then you also need to be able to, you know, take the time to invest in developing that long-form content, which, frankly, it becomes the, the fodder and the seed material for a lot of your short-form content, you know, you know over the course of a, of, a, of a campaign. Thank you, Andy. And I'm going to keep you in the hot seat here for a second sure. because I'm looking at some of your notes and there's something I'd like to talk about. You say the mix that a brand deploys to support a given initiative really depends on, and then let me read the list and you can explain it briefly, relative brand strength, content quality and value, and this one intrigues me, the popularity of the given topic, and then you add, and the portion of the buyer's decision journey the company is trying to influence. Can we focus on popularity for a minute, the popularity? How do you gauge the popularity of a topic if it's what matters to your company and you want to create it as a a thoughtful trend or as something new on the landscape and you want people to open their minds and think and say, wow, I didn't think about that. That should be important to me. How do you create popularity or do you have to go with what's already there? Yeah, that's a good. I mean, it's a good question. So, so the 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 idea there is, um, you know, with respect to you know, again, back to owned, earned, and paid, and how do you decide, you know, how you're going to um, you know deploy your available resources against mm-hmm. those those three channels or those three areas. Um, you know, popularity or, or cultural relevance might be another way of looking at that. You know, is is to me is is you know if 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 the given subject, if the you know if the if the, um, if the given subject is 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 of a particular relevance, you know, let's say to again in the ADP world to the HR community at any given time, you know, um, earned and and owned media are going to be you know totally sufficient for us to be able to to share our point of view on that given subject. We're probably not going to need to pay. Uh, for native advertising or you know traditional advertising to be able to get our point of view relative to that you know culturally relevant idea into the marketplace because people are looking for it anyway um, you know search is the you know it's a great equalizer in that sense if if if, if they're looking if there's something of cultural relevance and people are searching on it ADP has a point of view and we've done a good enough job of of creating you know channels and mechanisms that have this you know sufficient you know domain authority and all those things so that our so that our content is, is easily found, you know, we're gonna we're gonna get we're gonna get the eyeballs that we're looking for. Um, you know, con- counter to that would be, you know, if we are trying to um, espouse a new idea that is not currently in the in the mainstream as it relates to our, our target audience, um, you know, that's gonna create that's gonna require a different mix. It's probably gonna require that we invest heavily or, or more in the in the upfront in terms of paid media, you know, native advertising, et cetera, in order to be able to to introduce that idea. Uh, but then, you know, hopefully, if the idea and the, and, the, of the, and the content is of high enough and sufficient enough quality, you know, we're going to start to see, um, 
we're going to start to see that you know pick up organic strength uh, through uh, through our owned and our our earned um, media efforts. So I, I hope that, that that clarifies the point. But it's a um, you know cultural relevance is a hugely important element I think of of of, of um, campaign success. Thank you, Tim Clark. Love to have your thoughts on this. The topic Andy just discussed. Yeah, sure. I mean, you know, I think that in many regards, a lot of companies are are still struggling to find that right um, content mix, you know, and that right mix of paid, owned, earned. Um, but but the the one thing that I will also underscore is that as as far as you know, popularity relates to all of this um, and popular content, that sort of thing, awareness. I think sometimes what people forget about native advertising is that um, it, believe it or not, is really almost less about the story you're putting out there. You're just trying to get, at least in the Forbes sense of the model that they pretty much pioneered when it comes to native advertising, you're trying to get people to come back to your platform so that they see the banner ads wrapped around your content. And so when you think about it in those terms, you know what's going to drive people back to your platform? Stories about big data, stories about analytics, probably not. You're going to try to talk about more mainstream topics to get people to come back to your platform and maybe, hopefully, click on some of those banner ads that you have to, um, if, if they're interested and they can learn more. Um, at SAP, we've kind of done a little bit of both. We, we have some, some mainstream stories. We have um, very, very technical content, and they both do very, very well in their own regard. So on our own channels, when we talk about the boardroom of the future, for instance, that's a fantastic topic that, uh, to what Rebecca was talking about before, about you know having a lot of legs. That is certainly a topic we found out that could continue on forever and ever and ever. Um, and then when you kind of cross the chasm into the Forbes terrain, where you're kind of out with the mainstream audience, Something like Tim Tebow, you know, a story about sports will do very, very well for us. Um, so what do you do in that sense? I mean, you can't write every story about Tim Tebow. <laughs> so, um, mm. you know, you have to kind of balance um, what is going to grab the eyeballs versus what your, your company culture is, as Andy's saying, and not go too far off the reservation. You know, stay true to your brand, maybe experiment a little, and just kind of see what happens and what works for you. Thank you very much, Tim. And I'm going to, uh, let's see what we want. We want Rebecca to come in on this. Rebecca, briefly on what we're talking about. Sure. I wanted to give a couple just frameworks for this. I think that Tim and Andy have both mentioned it in terms of the PESO model. So paid, earned, shared, and owned. And this is a really important way to be thinking about content and all of that. Um, So that's kind of number one. And the second is, I think that and, and both of you, both of you gentlemen have alluded to this, but I think it's about being flexible and adaptable while having the long view, but also really putting the customer at the center of the content. So if the goal of content or PR or marketing or native advertising, assumably, is to capture the interest of a potential customer and and lead them, help lead them through the buying journey. And so the way to do that is to talk about things that are interesting to them. And I think that what happens a lot of times is that companies get enamored with talking about themselves. And I think that we are moving away from that as we start to see data and analytics that showcase the opposite is actually true. Thank you very much. Tim Clark, 
I want to talk to you a little bit about, we have a couple topics left and we're almost ready for our predictions round, but t- a couple things. Tim, you say thought leadership, the definition has become so muddled. Is it still relevant? I think you're going to hurt a lot of people's feelings with this. So why don't you tell us what you mean? Well, I guess what I mean is that um, I, I, I've just over the years, I've seen people use this ther- term thought leadership to describe pretty much everything. Um, you know, it, it, it gets um, away from what the true term is, you know. And so if you look across LinkedIn, um, you know, a bunch of social media channels, you'll see that everybody's a thought leader. You know, everybody's mm-hmm. got thousands of followers. Everybody knows everything. Everybody's an expert. Um, but as it relates to that term, I mean, what, what really is thought leadership? You know, I don't think thought leadership is a blog necessarily, unless it comes from someone who's a true thought leader. A lot of this is debatable, uh, I would say. But um, when when you're using the term so much, um, it just really loses its value to the point where, um, you know, people start to back away from it. Then it becomes a part of the marketing jargon lexicon, and that's not a good thing. You don't want to be there. So... My, I guess, advice would be to use it sparingly, use it smartly. Mm-hmm. Um, don't presume that you're a thought leader because that's presumptuous. You shouldn't claim yourself to be a thought leader. Let someone else det- determine that for you. Let your readers, let your audience, let your customers tell you that this is, in fact, thought leadership. Don't come charging out of the gate saying that you're that already. Thank you. And, well, are we going to have to stop saying that we have panels of thought leaders here on SAP Game Changers Radio, Tim? No, I'm I have to have... the exception being this, all of us, we certainly are thought leaders. Um, I had to ask because we call ourselves, interestingly enough, Tim, we position these shows and we have, oh, about 22 different series right now, launching seven in the next couple of weeks. Uh, we position ourselves as pure thought leadership, meaning we're not selling right. anything. We're just talking about a topic of the day with people who know a lot about that topic. So I grace my guests with the, the title of thought leaders, and I, I know the three of you are. Tim, I'm not going to let you off the hook quite yet. I have something else that I don't think we've covered. You say, in the often confusing content marketing landscape, how do we measure success? Now, we all know it comes down to the bottom line somewhere, somehow. Somebody's going to ask, well, what was your impact? Well, how many people read it? Well, how many people retweeted it? Well, how many people bought it? How many people dialed the phone number? So you say it could be page views, social shares, click-throughs, um, and it does depend on what we're trying to accomplish. So any quick thoughts for us to – I don't know if we're going to have time to go around the table on this one, but Tim, what are your thoughts? How do you measure success in terms of con- digital content brand marketing? Well, I, I think it actually is all of the things that I mentioned. It is you know, definitely page views. You want to make sure that you are getting a lot of page views that – indicates that people are actually interested in your content. There's obviously an interest there. People are reading it. Um, social shares, I think, are huge. That shows that people, you know, for the most part, like your content so much they made the effort to share it with somebody else. I think that's a big indicator. I think that you couldn't really ask for more than that. Now, um, beyond that, you know, it gets a little bit murky, and maybe Rebecca and Andy have some more thoughts to share about uh, diving a little bit deeper into what your audience is saying about you and your share a voice out there and that sort of thing. Um, But from a brand journalism perspective, um, the awareness metrics are very, 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 very important to us. We want to make sure that people are reading our content for sure. And then anything that happens after that, really, 
honestly, is icing on the cake. So, for instance, we may get, you know, a couple of different um, sales leads off of some of the content that we've written, and which is a huge thrill. It's a tremendous accomplishment. Mm-hmm. And those are the types of things where you, then you have to step back and ask yourself, okay, well, this particular piece of content only got 500 page views, but look at all of the interest it generated. You know, we've got a lot of leads out of this. So then you have to ask yourself, what is more important? Is it the leads? Do you just want to rack up a bunch of page views? It really just depends on what you're trying to accomplish. So I kind of I'm answering it, not answering it, leaving it open-ended That's for fine. others, you know, Bonnie, to, if I could, others if I could, to discuss. Andy, I'll give you one minute because we're almost at the end of the show. One minute, Andy. Talk to me. Yeah, sure, sure. So I think I mean I think it's a it's a it's a really interesting uh, you know idea, and I think I think you know we you need to look at content, you know, marketing and brand journalism almost as an ecosystem. I mean, one you know one channel which might be pure thought leadership, but a unique point of view you know the organization organization has combined with you know you know more traditional content marketing, which is really a, a, a bevy of information that the client or the customer actually cares about, with a, with an end game though of driving them to a place where they're willing to ultimately pay for that content. By, by, with, with, with the currency of their, of their information, their email address, their phone number, the willingness to, to, to let us engage with them in an ongoing dialogue uh, over, over the long term. To, to us, that's, that's, the ultimate, that's the ultimate payoff of content marketing is, is being able to put all of those pieces together in a sufficient way where people are willing to, to pay, for, pay for the content with their, with their information. Thank you. Guess what? We are just, oh my goodness, we have about four minutes left to the show, and I want to make sure we get some predictions in here. I'm going to circle back quickly to Rebecca Iliff on the West Coast. It's starting to be daylight, I think, there. Rebecca, uh, do you like the year 2020? I'm going to give you 45 seconds, or let's just say three sentences, your predictions for if we met again at some point in the future, you name the time, the day, and the minute. That's fine. We'll be there. Uh, What would be different about this topic, brands as publishers? What are your future trends predictions? 45 seconds. Seconds, Rebecca Iliff, go. So I think we're really entering this age of trans. And what I mean is transmedia, transformation, transgender. If you think about anything, and within five years, I really think that, you know, data and analytics and insights and the way that humans are behaving is going to really help shed some of these silos and some of these walls that have been built um, between businesses and people. So I'm really excited about you know, making that prediction out to 2020, I think the conversation will be very different. I think that there won't be as much, you know, argument and posturing for budgets. I think that people will be working together um, and across silos and, and really in a different way that, that we've ever seen. So the age of trans, that's how I'm looking at it. Thank you. Andy Hilton, I can give you three sentences. We're just, well, no, you get 45 seconds. You, how many, ever many sentences you could do? Predict for me, please. All right, <laughs> Sure. Yeah, I, 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 I'm, I'm thinking along the same lines as Rebecca. I think this, this trend of, of, um, of convergence, you know, across these, these areas of pay to own and earn that we've talked about for the last hour are, um, are, are definitely going to transcend into the, into the organizational structures and the operational structures of, 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 of business to business and business to consumer enterprises. We're going to see, you know, fewer, um, fewer functional silos and really, you know, um, um, organizations that are looking for expertise in, in storytelling. Uh, and, 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 and surround that, that, that core capability with people who know how to get that story in front of the, uh, the right audiences. Thank you. Tim Clark, predictions I can give you. Well, let's see. Justin, I see 54 after, so I think we have two minutes left. Uh, I can give you 45 seconds, Mr. Clark. Go ahead. What's your prediction? All right. Thank you. Um, well, I do agree with, with Andy and Rebecca for sure. Um, 
certainly this is a time of trans, all things trans. And um, to riff off of what Andy had mentioned earlier in the call about the, the story being the center pretty much of everything um, when it comes to marketing, um, we're going to see that more and more. Uh, people are going to realize that you can't just completely offshore and outsource your content strategy because that doesn't always produce results. You want to keep it in-house. You want more of your employees telling more quality, authentic stories that um, other people within marketing can use to their benefit. We're going to see more of that, I think, um, because that, again, as the data will show, uh, produces the best results. Um, I also think that we're going to see, you know, when we talk about brands as publishers, I think we're going to see a higher degree of investment in, you know, brand newsrooms, community spaces, those types of things, so that we can, um, you know, build out better uh, destinations uh, to publish content. And, you know, um, it's important. It's important to um, have a proper home for all of your content that you own and can manage and has all the proper bells and whistles attached to it so that your customers can quickly and easily find the content they want and participate in discussions and share the content. Thank you, Tim Clark. Appreciate that. And I have a couple of quick predictions. I predict that we have a packed schedule coming up starting in a couple weeks, and we're now in January 2016. Tuesdays at 10 a.m., we will be rotating the following series, Social Selling with Game Changers, back for Season 2. Brand new, The Future of the Future with Game Changers. New, The Future of Cars with Game Changers. Don't want to miss that. And The Extended Supply Chain of the Future with Game Changers, also new. Tuesdays at 12 noon Eastern, we'll have Digital Industries Changing the Game, Business Network Innovation with Game Changers and Financial Excellence with Game Changers. They're coming back for Season 5. Wednesday, we always are here with Coffee Break with Game Changers. And Thursday's continuing series, Future of Business, Innovating Innovation, Meet the Visionary Game Changers and Internet of Things with Game Changers, which will be live tomorrow. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Thank you to my three wonderful thought leader panelists. I can say that with assurance. <laughs> Rebecca Iliff at AirPR, Andy Hilton at ADP, Tim Clark, thanks for the topic, Tim at SAP. And shout out to Justin, our engineer, <laughs> Here's my call to action. Same as last year. You know what it is. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. I'll talk to you tomorrow on Internet of Things with Game Changers, 10 a.m. Eastern, right here on the Business Channel. Bye-bye. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. Thanks again for tuning in to Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the Coffee Break conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag pound sign S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Please join your host, Bonnie D. Graham, again next Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week.